this morning I thought I'd present one of the suttas and talk about it, but I think it will take more than a morning. <laughs> it's quite a profound and sometimes baffling uh, discourse. Mm. There's seeming paradoxes within it. <coughs> <coughs> Namo tasa bhagavato rahato samma sambhutasa Namo tasa bhagavato rahato samma sambhutasa Namo tasa bhagavato rahato samma sambhutasa Buddhang dhammang sangang namasami This is the, comes from the book of the Connected Discourses um, Second book, the Book of Causation, Sutta number 64. <clears throat> At Savati, bhikkhus, there are these four kinds of nutriment for the maintenance of beings that have already come to be and for the assistance of those about to come to be. What for? The nutriment, edible food, gross or subtle. Second, contact. Third, mental volition. Fourth, consciousness. These are the four kinds of nutriment for the maintenance of beings that have already come to be and for the assistance of those about to come to be. If, because there is lust for the nutriment of edible food, if there is delight, if there is craving, consciousness becomes established there and comes to growth. Whatever consciousness becomes established and comes to growth, there is a descent of name and form. Where there is a descent of name and form, there is the growth of volitional formations. Where there is the growth of volitional formations, there is the production of future renewed existence. When there is the production of future renewed existence, there is future birth, aging and death. Where there is future birth, aging and death, I say that it is accompanied by sorrow, anguish and despair. If because there is lust for the nutriment contact or for the nutriment mental volition, or for the nutriment consciousness, if there is delight, if there is craving, consciousness becomes established there and comes to growth. Wherever consciousness becomes established and comes to growth, I say that it is accomplished by sorrow, anguish and despair. Suppose because an artist or a painter using dye or lac or turmeric or indigo or crimson would create the figure of a man or a woman completing all its features on a well-polished plank or wall or canvas. So too, if there is lust for the nutriment of edible food or for the nutriment contact or for the nutriment mental volition or for the nutriment consciousness, if there is delight, 
If there is craving, consciousness becomes established there and comes to growth. Wherever consciousness becomes established and comes to growth, I say that it is accompanied by sorrow, anguish and despair. If because there is no lust for the nutriment edible food, or for the nutriment contact, or for the nutriment mental volition, or for the nutriment consciousness, if there is no delight, if there is no craving, consciousness does not become established there and come to growth. Where consciousness does not become established and come to growth, there is no descent of name and form. Where there is no descent of name and form, there is no growth of volitional formations. Whereas there is no growth of volitional formations, there is no production of future renewed existence. Where there is no production of future renewed existence, there is no future birth, aging and death. Where there is no future birth, aging and death, I say that it is without sorrow, anguish and despair. Suppose because there was a house or a hall with a peaked roof, with windows on northern, southern and eastern sides. When the sun rises and a beam of light enters through a window, where would it become established? On the western wall, venerable sir. If there were no western wall, where would it become established? On the earth. Venerable Sir, if there were no earth, where would it become established? On the water, Venerable Sir. If there were no water, where would it become established? It would not become established anywhere, Venerable Sir. So too, because if there is no lust for the nutriment of edible food, for the nutriment contact, for the nutriment mental volition, for the nutriment consciousness. Consciousness does not become established there and come to growth. Where, where consciousness does not become established and come to growth, I say that is without sorrow, anguish and despair. So there's a huge amount there actually, and many kinds of terms and references that would benefit from explanation. Um, but sort of, you know, is he recommending starvation as a means to enlightenment? Uh, no contact, kind of numb out, no consciousness, coma, hmm? or what? So many questions can rise in our minds. Hmm. The end of it, uh, this lovely image, you know, just go through that image again, you had a house. And in the Indian way of thinking, you have the earth and then underneath the earth is the great ocean. So say the light's coming through the wall, through the window and it hits the wall, or on the opposite end, you take the wall down, that sunlight's gonna travel on to hit the earth. And you take the earth away, it's gonna hit the water, which is the great ocean underneath the water. Take the water away. Yeah. Where does it land? There's nothing there, right? So that's, um, you say, there's no object. There's no object, consciousness can't settle, can't land, can't establish name and form. So form, an object, name, good, bad, like, dislike, earth, sun, Mary, whatever, you know, something we know, we name it. 
we perceive it, we feel something about it, we start activating around it, wondering about it, curious about it, craving it, liking it, fearing it, hoping for it. We can't activating around all that. So that's the descent of name and form onto an object, all that stuff, yeah? And, uh, and then of course the object passes away and then we're, what's next, you know? And that disconnect uh, and the confusion. Mm. And it's going on this process of uh, establishing a form mind establishing consciousness establishing a form that naturally is the way that form does it's transient it passes right it changes and then it needs to establish another form another sight another sound another taste another thought gets onto that that shifts and changes another one that shifts and changes while it's not shifting and changing consciousness is kind of teetering around in it adjusting it working with it trying to handle it, trying to make more of it, trying to make less of it, and it shifts and the same old thing goes on. <laughs> so this is what we can maybe note, you know, in this week of the movement through time. Now if you zoom the lens out, we saw time is birth, aging and death. If you look at it in purely physical terms, movement of time is birth, aging and death. Of course in psychological terms we don't experience a physical death, but you experience the arising, passing, termination of that particular event, thought, taste, sound, perception, feeling, situation, and then as that, oh, well that was, oh, and then the next, you know. So there's that process, this is the, the, move, the rotation in time, isn't it? We're moving on in time. Right? Movement in time. What does that feel like? Mm. How much of the time is it really agreeable, the movement in time? How much do we find ourselves, time is a measure of our sense of pressure. Got to get done, got to arrive, got to get that done by, and the next thing, prepare for that which is about to happen prepare for something that's about to happen. How, long, how much long have I got to prepare before it happens? I might be late for it. I right, got there on time. Now, now I've got to get this thing, sustain this thing for a period of time, uh, keep it going, and then it finishes. And then, oh, oh, just, oh, I need to do something else now. You know, onto the next thing. And that, Movement of time can be really quite pressurized, can't it? You know, stuff that's being asked of us, situations, scenarios, this little clock thing, these numbers running around on a clock, absolutely, completely oblivious to your wishes, feelings, moves. They're just implacable. Doc, doc, I am 12 minutes past, I'm not 13 minutes past, and I'm going to move, you know? and you're going to be late. <laughs> and you'll rush. Your body will go into panic and agitation to, in accordance with those numbers, you know? And everybody's doing this dance. And then being irritated by themselves, by each other, because you didn't turn up at 9.12. You turned up at 9.14. Two numbers? 
and we 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 find ourselves angry over numbers. <laughs> what happened? Well, I was waiting. I was waiting. I was wasting my time waiting. I could have been. I was waiting, wasting my time. Where's your time? Where's your time? Could you give me some time that I could waste or do something with? Where, where is this stuff called time? <laughs> yeah, it's in in your nervous system, isn't it? Running away, pushing away, and everybody's following it, so it becomes real. Yeah, don't be late. Plane takes off. Sorry, you're not going anywhere because of time. <laughs> Get to the airport. Rush, 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 rush. Get to the airport, check in three hours in advance. Your plane is two hours delayed. <laughs> time. Yeah. No apologies. Thank you for your patience. What patience? Yeah. <laughs> in other words, <laughs> yours. You're stuffed, so get on with it. <laughs> Time has done its number on you again. You know, and that movement. And it's meditation, you know, you still experience, what is it, the subtle sense of becoming, need to be, need to catch up, need to get to the next, need to achieve something in the future, need to move forward in time, to fruition, to success, to completion. Otherwise it's going to be Regression, stagnation, not getting away, having wasted my time. The worst sin, wasting my time. Where's that? She's a bit of a slow poke, not getting very far in her practice. Oh, he's really racing ahead in his practice. He's really getting somewhere in his practice. He's, oh, wonderful, oh, terrible, I'm, you know. I'm a beginner. I'm a <laughs> time, 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 becoming, becoming something in time. And is there ever an end to it, to that relentless push to be? This is the sorrow and despair of it, the non-achievement of it the non-getting any, the non-arrival. Because as long as the time sense persists, there's no arrival. There's no completion. There's no ceasing, there's no resting. Yeah. As long as that sense is there. So, you know, the cessation of time is really uh, a nice way of looking at uh, one of the things that have to be released. Perhaps one of the most important things has to be released, particularly in such a time-bound society, human world. Mm. So, you know, this is the process how when consciousness is established, it gets into this realm of becoming something. When it's not established, when there's no time, you know, that, that things begin to become more manageable. We really see what's going on. 
And one of the reflexes that gets programmed into us and very much goes along with a sense of time is grab and drop. Yeah. Grab and drop. Yeah. Reach forward and get that thing, finish with it, dispose, dump, next one. Get into something, consume it. Well, that was good, yum, yum. Tidy up, next thing. Yeah. <laughs> Grab and drop. <laughs> and there's a kind of, you know, delight in, in that, the moment, the hit moment when we get the thing. Yeah. And then, oh, well, I'll finish with that. Finished. Birth, arising, death, finished. Grabbed it, become dropped. Is there anything that you grab that goes in, in that particular movement of grabbing something that eventually you don't either drop, lose interest in, or, or passes away? So this, that's the volition. That's called tanha, craving. Craving and grasping. So the craving is the idea comes from the reflex idea there's something to have that will fill me up, that will satisfy me, that will bring me to the happy place. And then grasping is the action that comes from that psychology. So tanar is very much a psychology that assumes there's something to have that will fill me up. And so from that, grasping, onto a thing. When you grasp it, it comes into being, it comes into definite form, it passes away. So is that feeling whatever is in that sense of craving, grasping, becoming, which is the time sense, is always going to be of that nature. And the propulsion that comes through really not seeing and penetrating and easing out of that propels us in our lives, pushing us onwards, propelling us, and never really arriving at completion. The, uh, the sense of what is the fulfillment experience that uh, Tanha sets up, that we kind of get a whisper of, that was so nice when I had that grape, yeah, and now it's gone. Have another one. What was that fulfillment experience? For a moment, perhaps we felt just unified with the object, completely there in that in that taste, there in that sunset, there in that piece of music, just flooded with it. Felt fulfilled, completed. Felt like it, but you can't do it because it changes. So you get this wave, floods in, filled, and then it ebbs, the tide goes out, you've got to get another one. And that's happening maybe in a couple of seconds. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't even fulfill very much. We're going through the motions, but that flooding feeling of fulfillment. For a moment we feel complete, and then it's gone. So if we get a whisper of that feeling complete, let's have another one, do it again. But of course, the more you do it, the less and less it feels really fulfilling. So, finish with the grapes, on to the, you know, Stravinsky or something. (laughs) 
but there is this momentary thing. And what is really being sought is the feeling of completion and fulfillment when I don't have to reach out anymore and feel hungry and feel empty and feel needy when that stops. So, and actually, the funny thing is that that movement towards what I would call integration, where we no longer we no longer we feel completed, we no longer feel broken up and empty. The movement towards that you know, integra- in- integration, feeling completed. Mm. Now, actually, that that's quite healthy. The movement towards that, or the the understanding of that. Problem is that craving, which seems like it should be giving us more of that, is actually breaking us up. It doesn't integrate, breaks us up. What we think will integrate actually disintegrates because then we become broken up into a world of food and sights and sounds and people and events and sun and places and changes and, you know. The more we emphasize holding on to objects because of the nature of objects, the nature is to disintegrate, we disintegrate. Mm. This is called attachment to uh, pain, sort of lamentation, <laughs> attachment to what consciousness is established on. It causes us to disintegrate. And it's a constant disintegration. Yeah. Where there's a lot of moments when it seems to come together briefly and then it's disintegrating and dis- you know, that constant shifting. It's so normal that, you know, we yeah, we get used to it. As long as you keep moving on to the next thing, it's kind of manageable. It's when you sit still that it gets difficult. You know, the mind has to come up with its objects to um, hold on to. Do a long retreat, how far is that going to go? We can perhaps get into some nice mental state, hold it, get there, defend it against all comers, all noisy yogis, all bugs. (laughs) Till the bitter end. So the retreat ends and then, oh, oh no, here we are again. Disintegration <laughs> into the, what we call the world, you know. You can't hold it anymore because one has not really understood. <laughs> Just found something else to, to grab. Drag, grab, drop. Reach out, grab, drop. As long as consciousness is established on an object, this is, there's only better objects, but none of them will actually get beyond that process. So this is what nutriment's about. It's about that reaching out, taking in, reaching out, taking in. Food, take take it in. Food is the obvious one. You can understand it very easily. And how satisfying is food? A little bit for a while and then do it again. A little bit, do it again. Yeah. So, <clears throat> then that's the act of what's called nutriment. Now, upadana or clinging or craving is sometimes called 
translated as feeding on. So the Buddha uses these terms that are really multifaceted and sometimes the imagery he uses quite tangible, sometimes very pungent imagery of this uh, to bring out, to highlight and to put in stark, bold types face, what to us is sometimes rather subtle, very subtle indeed. But in the previous suit of this, he says, well, you know, let's look at nutriment, let's look at food. He says, so suppose, you know, a couple are walking across a desert with their son, and after a week or so they run out of food, they realize they're not going to get across this desert with their son. So all three of us are going to die in this desert. So they think about it and think, well, what we do, we'll kill our son and eat him. But at least two of us will get across the desert. Yeah, so they do this. Do you think they enjoyed the meal? <laughs> he said, no. They just did it because they really desperately had to. Better two die, uh, one die than three die. So this is the way you should regard food. <laughs> this is a uh, happy Thanksgiving, huh? <laughs> Turkey Liberation Front will be very pleased with this Dhamma talk. (laughs) 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 Then it gets worse. (laughs) Uh, So what about contact? He's set us up for something. My goodness, wow. He's sort of reeling from that one. He says contact, which again seems to be something that's pretty... Everybody has contact. So, well, the way you should look at contact, I suppose there's a flayed cow, a cow with no skin. If she stands exposed to a wall, the creatures dwelling in the wall would nibble at her. If she stands exposed to a tree, the creatures dwelling in the tree would nibble at her. You get it. Basically, the flayed cow, you know, just being nip, nipped and bit at by bugs and creepy crawlies, and this is how you should regard contact. Uh, so that sense of reaching out for another being nibbled at uh, is do you really want that? <laughs> well, yeah, do you really want more? Yeah. If it's just going to be something that pings into you, agitates you for a while and disappears, you know what, who wants more of that? The Buddha's looking at it this way. Yeah. Is there any kind of contact that doesn't touch and then you know there's a sort of resonance with that and then it you you know sometimes extremely pleasant or unpleasant we're sort of fired up by that and then the contact we're agitated by that and then all that happens nutrient mental volition mental volition is uh, the ongoing plummeting of the mind the ongoing pushing of the mind onwards. The mind's pushing onwards to be, to have, to get, to achieve, to become, to plan, to think, you know, that pushing mental volition. You know, which again, extremely, uh, people be quite uh, programmed to having a lot of this, get ahead, mental volition. <coughs> this is how the Buddha regards it. Suppose there's a charcoal pit, deeper than a man's height, filled with glowing coals without flame or smoke. 
A man would come along wanting to live, not wanting to desire, desiring happiness and averse to suffering. Then two strong men would grab him by both arms and drag him towards the charcoal pit. The man's volition would be to get away. The longing would be so f- to get away, far away. His wish would be to get far away from the charcoal pit because he knows I'll fall into this charcoal pit and I will meet death and deadly suffering. This is how you should regard mental volition. (laughs) 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 Pushing onwards, where's it going? (laughs) Dragged onwards. (laughs) Do you know how people get so fired up with things, you know, with the things we strive for and aim for and, you know, know, I guess for most of us it's fairly subtle. The Buddha's really blowing it up on the screen. You know, and we feed on that sense of getting ahead, uh, arriving somewhere, going in the forward, achieving, making, building, planning. Gee, it burns you up. You know? And then create karma. You've got to inherit all the results from that, from our mental volition. How big should the nutriment consciousness be seen. Suppose they were to arrest a bandit, a criminal, and bring him before the king, saying, Sire, this man is a bandit, a criminal. Impose on him whatever punishment you wish. The king says to them, Go, men, in the morning, strike this man with a hundred spears. In the morning, they strike him with a hundred spears. Then at noon, the king asks, Men, how's that man? Still alive, sire? Then go, and at noon, strike him with a hundred spears. At noon, they strike him with a hundred spears. In the evening, the king says, Men, how's that man? Still alive, sir? <laughs> then go, and in the evening, strike him with a hundred spears. In the evening, they strike him with a hundred spears. What do you think, Because Would that man, being struck by three hundred spears, experience pain and displeasure? Venerable <laughs> <laughs> sir, even if he was struck with one spear, he would experience pain and displeasure on that account, not to speak of three hundred spears. In such a way, because that I say the nutriment consciousness should be seen. <laughs> the consciousness is stabbed with 300 spears, <laughs> which means sights, sounds, touches, thoughts, feeling, you know, all that. Jang, 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 you know, jabbing in. That's the way uh, he should regard it. This is what he's presenting anyway. And you go, wow, this is strong stuff. Um, when the nutriment consciousness is fully understood, fully understood, name and form is fully understood. When name and form is fully understood, I say there is nothing further that a noble disciple needs to do. When the nutriment consciousness fully understood. So all these are things he says you fully understand. Now he's not actually saying you should stop being conscious, stop contact or stop eating. I mean it sort of dulls your appetite a little I must admit. (laughs) But he says you really understand it because then name and form doesn't descend. Name and form is this, uh, when consciousness establishes itself on that, 
then there's the fondling, then there's the treasuring, then there's the disgusting, then there's the wanting more, then there's the movement in time, then there's the passing away, there's the arising, there's the passing away, and then there's that next, next, next. So he says this is, um, if you understand this, fully understand consciousness, fully understand contact, fully understand uh, mental volition, uh, and you see what they do, you understand that. They're creating something that just like the picture of a man or woman painted in lac, crimson, crimson, indigo or turmeric on a piece of wood. What's that? Who's that? You know? Name and form is the painter. Paints an object. You know? Paints with these dyes, paints with these colors, paints something. Mm. And then it's, wow, look at that. It, name and form creates, so name and form, consciousness, name and form, recognizing something there is, is creating a form, painting, establishing and painting that form, a form that then we take delight in. Mm. That, that form is subject to dissolution. Now, if we look, go back to edible food again, now, let's forget turkeys and talk about bananas, since this is a vegetarian outfit. Uh, <laughs> so, really awakening is about learning how to, to eat a banana. Learning, when you eat a banana, there's no, really there's no banana. Because when you, we may think of eating bananas, just that thing getting in my hand, poking in my mouth, chew it, end of story. But no, no, eating a banana is really imagining eating a banana, thinking about it, remembering, taste the bananas, feeling hungry, attraction, interest, locating a banana. Is it my banana? Can I have it? Yes, mine. Peeling a banana, anticipating the flavor getting the first fragrance of the smell coming up, holding it in my hand, careful to place it in the right orifice, chewing it, <laughs> tasting it, savoring it, swallowing it, remembering, that was a nice taste. Oh, let's have another bite. Finishing the banana, there's a skin in your hand, throw the skin away. Hmm, that was a nice banana. Another one would be good carrying the memory of the banana in one's heart. Remember it, going back to it, thinking about it. Yesterday I had a great banana. All that is eating a banana, isn't it? The whole consciousness, contact, mental volition, and the form. The edible food, or the mental volition that goes towards it, the contact impression, what it means, signifies. Imagine if it tasted, you know, you picked up a banana, it tasted like rubber. You know? Wrong taste, wrong banana. So perception, consciousness, the flavor, agreeable feeling, all that. Without that, there'll be no banana. So it's not just the physical thing, is it? It's the whole 
arising of this psychophysical experience, interwoven psychophysical experience called name and form and consciousness arising that generates the banana for us as direct experience. And you get to the end of your banana, you put it down and where is it now? Still pieces of it still stay there, the perceptions, the meanings, the feelings, the comparisons with other bananas and so forth. So it's still, you realize the thing itself is a very full form that moves through consciousness. Really understanding this, extending your attention, extending your awareness of the whole process of what it is about eating a banana. Actually the banana itself is not so something you get deluded by. You know, a banana's only as good as your hunger. It's only as good as your taste buds. It's only as good as your perception. So it's, it's a very full interwoven thing. We understand this, the physical object is kind of not that big anymore. What becomes important, you realize how this abrasive, grabbing, seizing, gobbling, finishing, how rough and disintegrating that is, how we lose presence with that, how we find ourselves in this not having, having finished, not having got it finished, you know. So with all of those, you've got two experiences of not having (laughs) and one experience of having. First of all, I don't have it, I want it, I got it. Then I've got it, finished it, oh, now I don't have it again. So essentially you're getting two not-haves for every have. (laughs) With all that that means. That's disintegration. That's how we break up into these empty places where we don't have. So therefore we want to fill up the empty place of not having with something that we have. And then the empty place opens up again. That's through not understanding. You know, the empty place is never empty. It's often confused, tangled, distorted with fear, with desire, with pressure, with inattention, with hindrances, uh, with longing, with memory. It's never empty. It's it's. So if we cultivate and enrich the pieces that seem to be empty, needy, fearful, annoyed, wanting distraction, if we could nourish and fill those with Dhamma, there'd be no empty places in that negative sense. There'd be something complete, not broken up, not breaking up, something completed something full. There'd be no sense of loss. There'd be a sense of change, maybe, but not really of loss. The object arises, 
passes, there's the knowing, there's the awareness. Yeah. And we feel full, feel completed by that. And that is very much the, the span we're looking at. Just uh, coming into the building this morning and then, you know, see the looking for a place to put my sandals and a place to put my woolly hat. And then you kind of see the peg to put the hat on, put the peg on the, on the hat on the peg. And then that's finished. But actually, really, you know, just looking at that habit, so you know, no, there isn't that. What there is, there's the movement of the body, there's the seeing, there's the wanting to, not needing the hat, taking it off, there's looking for the peg, putting the hat on the peg, seeing the hat is there, it's not going to fall off, letting go of it, okay, turning around, walking away. So you just, you know, well, that's completed, isn't it? And yet we tend to think of things in terms of one event, then a space, then another event, you know. But really it's just an unbroken flow. And you're looking into how that unbroken flow becomes more fully known yeah, and healed and moderated so that there isn't the rush to get in and get that hat on the peg and rush to the hall for the next event. Because that clock is saying, you're late, you're late, hurry up. You know, there's the, you know, you've got to, get into this body, it can only do that. I could, suppose I could literally run down the hallway, <laughs> come panting in. Right, it's time to be mindful. <laughs> Rushing somewhere so as I can be mindful and peaceful in the future. You know, everybody's sitting there seething with impatience and rage because I've kept them waiting for two minutes. Are they? Are you sure? You know, is that what's happening? Where's that? Or could it be just, okay, you know, moving along, staying connected in the body and seeing how things unfold and begin to deconstruct this grab, rush, grab, rush, do, finish, on to the next. So it becomes steady flow. And then we're not feeding on consciousness. So consciousness here seeing this, that which selects a form, looking the external form of consciousness, that which selects a form. Now, so for example, in all of the continuum of experiences happening, consciousness selects a visual object. Let's shape this one up. Let's shape up, you know, this person's hair or their general form or their sweater or the color or something like that. It's a particular thing. Shapes it up. But that is, that's an action. That's, that's something consciousness is doing, isn't it? It's, where's the nice bit? Where's the interesting bit? Where's the bit I can find fault with, you know? <laughs> something you can get, get going on, you know? You know, consciousness seeking volition. Where can something I can get activated on? Nothing here. Oh, I don't like his don't like his socks. <laughs> right, good. No, don't like his socks. Why do people wear those socks in meditation? All they're too bright, or something. You know. Look at that vast universe. 
socks. <laughs> Vast universe, cough. His cough driving me nuts. Vast universe, cough, is the only thing that is here. Conscious selecting a form to get activated. It's something we don't choose, surely. We must be mad to choose. But it's the reflex to grab. And it grabs the thing that's got the most tickle, poke, push in it. Whether that's pleasant or unpleasant. The thing that's got the most activity in it, the most potential to get activated, that's what it's going to head for. (laughs) It's drunk. (laughs) Consciousness is drunk. (laughs) Drunk on name and form. I don't want bland, spacious, open, undifferentiated. I want something that's got lots of, you know, juice flowing in it. You know, it's something I can get activated around. That's what, this is the drunk consciousness. <laughs> Looking for something to feed on. And getting some sense of delight. Even the strange, weird delight, well, that you can get through fault-finding. Because when I'm fault-finding, I'm, I'm better. I know what's right. Yeah. You know, sort of sense of strange, distorted pride that can occur in that. So, you know, the various forms of fascination might be better than delight. It's not always pleasant getting fascinated by form, feeding on it, grasping at it, getting activated by it, getting it activated by it, then the various hindrances and attachments come in, and then it's sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair again. When is it going to sober up? (laughs) Just through understanding this, you know, Name and form is something, you know, there is a form, but the named form is selected. It's something that consciousness selects. So if you select anything, select things such as goodwill, such as breathing in, breathing out, such as silence and space, such as may I be well, such as I've kept the eight precepts today. Mm-hmm. Select something. Select something. And you see all those are what? They're all dependent, aren't they? They're not really things. They are, you know, spheres that have arisen through actions. Through skillful actions. Seeing it as it is, one loses the fascination that comes through thinking or imagining or seeing things as somehow separate objects, separate from what we already are. Now, it's not that there is such a thing as form, but our perception, our experience of it, is very much embedded here. Sooner or later, there will be something to delight in something to fear, something to be annoyed by, something to relish. All the potentials are embedded here. Mm. We are creating our own bananas all the time. 
But if there's no delight in that, that is, it's not hatred so much as just, I've seen the show. You know, I've seen the, the show, I've seen the conjuring trick, I've seen how he does it, I've seen the sleeves, I've seen the three cup trick. <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's interesting for a while, but, you know, not so much aversion, just enough is enough. Would it be nice to not, you know, just to feel the sense of releasing from all that? That's the, that's the authentic movement to integration. Because craving, desire, becoming, which are drunkards attempt to integrate. The drunk consciousness integrates through craving and disintegrates. Craving causes you to disintegrate, even though it promises you <laughs> it will fulfill you. It breaks you up. So as we sober up, you know, just sobering up, get the full picture of anything that we that drive towards it's subtle, gross mental, psychological physical, near or far it's in a, you know, being generated in one's own nama rupa consciousness name and form it's not anywhere else other than here is it? you already have it And as you calm, steadying that, soften into that, the form loses its sense of being separate, being bounded. Mind quietens down, calms, becomes more radiant, forms disappear. Consciousness does not have to alight on another object. So the, you know, looking at some pieces of instruction we can come up out of that. Just, um, you know, eat eat a banana slowly. You know, whatever it is, you know, just recognizing the perception, the hunger, the interest. That's all, it's all okay. The imagination, the... Stay with it, stay with it, stay with it. You know, the feeling you shouldn't feel hungry, stay with that. The agitation, stay with it. The craving, stay with it. You know, stay in your body, stay the, with the movement, stay with the lift, stay with the chewing, stay with the tasting, stay with the experiencing, stay with the changing, stay with it, stay with it finishing. Get to the end of, you know, your meal or your mouthful, depending how what speed you want to move at, stay with it, stay with it as you finished, stay with it, watching it change, break up, dissolve, stay with it. <laughs> yeah, tell us that, just like you're coming to the end of a breath, of an inhalation, stay with it, pass where you think, you imagine the breath has stopped in your nose, stay with it, you get a kind of feeling of something soft, final flush of that in-breath, poising, hovering, stay with it, 
and then exhalation. Stay with it. Get to the end of the exhalation. Stay there. Listening, taking it, letting it come. So the beauty of breathing in and out, it doesn't require mental volition. So there's the break. Yeah. So it's very important to, to come to a breathing that's not about me breathing or me getting good at it or me not doing it. Come to the breathing that's just the body breathing and spread your attention to fulfill that so you can experience something that's not bound up with mental volition. And this is where you start to break that, break the disconnects. <laughs> Which is, you break the grab and drop. Grab the in-breath, end of the in-breath, drop. Grab the out-breath, end of the out-breath, drop. Stay with it, stay with it. So you're changing the the grab and drop reflex, smooth flow, and following something like this Kaya Sankara, the place where it pauses and you're staying there. There's no mental volition. The object fades. You're attentive. You allow an object to arise, fade, change. And you feel fulfilled with that. Not because of the object, just because the mind is, is fully opened and attentive and empathic and not grabbing. That's what gives you fulfillment. Not, it's the not grabbing that gives you fulfillment. And this is the complete turnaround from the reflex psychology that uh, runs the world in general, is you get fulfillment by grabbing. Dhamma is the ending of grabbing, is the fulfillment. <laughs> Why we call it Nibbana, the ending, the blowing out. And yet, this is deeply satisfying. So little things like that, you know, fulfilling the beginnings of endings of things, you know, it's going out the hall, putting your shoes on, noting the changes, the sensations of putting your shoes on, opening the door, feeling the cool air touch your face, the rising of that, the sound of the door closing, pausing. Okay. Walking. Okay, you know. So it isn't, you're not got a, some kind of, you haven't internalized the program. But you're staying open to that. What really happens next? What happens now? What happens next? Hmm? So you're allowing the sense of this, uh, the mental volition is cooled, disbanded into receptivity and attention. And we really understand how it is and uh, lose the sense of 
two not two not havings for every one have. <laughs> you know, they're not having before I have, and they're not having after I have. <laughs> yeah. If you lose those two, then that's fulfillment. This is how you work with it, you know. Remember, drunk consciousness is addictive. Addicted and addictive. Yeah. So it's not your fault. It's just that consciousness has not seen, is, is drunk. And, uh, yeah, it needs to be held compassionately. We're not saying, you know, give up bananas or whatever it is. Just saying, take the whole thing much more completely and see what's arising, what that banana, what that thing really is. And what you think it is, isn't what it is. And then you you begin to wake up. So, here one.